It started as a campfire and grew into the largest wildfire New Jersey's seen in more than a decade. Firefighters in South Jersey are still battling a massive wildfire that broke out Sunday in Wharton State Forest. The New Jersey Forest Fire Service says it's finally gotten a handle on the Mullica River fire that started burning Sunday. The blaze, called the Mullica River Fire, burned 15,000 acres in Wharton State Forest this past June. From the sky, it looked like lit matches blowing in the wind casting a yellow haze over most of South Jersey. There were no injuries, but several campgrounds and farms were threatened. Fires in the Pinelands generally don't cause casualties, but property loss can amount to millions of dollars from each fire, especially if homes or structures are damaged. Wildfires aren't new in the state, but climate change is changing the intensity, duration, and when they occur. Within the southern reaches of the Pines, the EPA is trying to work around those risks as they try to clean up a toxic landfill nearby. But all it could take is a spark to harm their efforts. This is Hazard, a limited series about the impacts of climate change on Superfund sites here in New Jersey. I'm Jordan Gaspore, an investigative journalist from Texas. When I was a kid, I was deathly afraid of fire. Ovens, stoves, matches, you name it. Anything that could light on fire terrified me. Oh, and I don't go camping because of mosquitoes, but also because building a campfire just sounds like a recipe for disaster. I would watch that TV show, Are You Afraid of the Dark, where these kids sit around a campfire and tell ghost stories, baffled that they weren't more afraid of starting a forest fire. Smokey the Bear also really scared me. Like, man, why am I the only one that can prevent forest fires? I'm not even camping. <sighs> Putting my childhood neuroses aside, I recently found myself in the middle of the New Jersey Pinelands. Turns out, that's one of the most wildfire-prone areas in the country. I was there to visit Immel's Septic Landfill a 38-acre Superfund site in Galloway Township that's surrounded by pine forest. Back in the 60s and 70s, when the site operated as a dump for septic waste and, reportedly, drums of paint sludge, the forest helped hide the Immel family's illegal activities. Today, the forest and the threat of wildfires put the site at risk. What they were supposed to do was to bring in septic waste. Uh, they were supposed to pour it out basically on the ground and they were supposed to disc it in or plow it into the ground. At some point during that operations, they decided to start illegally taking in chemical waste. Joe Gowers has been the EPA project manager for the Immel site since it was listed in 1999. And uh, ultimately what we found was about uh, 438 drums of uh, what looked like to be paint sludge was disposed of uh, in the ground um, at the site, and that sort of triggered the, um, the contamination problem here because the solvents related to that leached into the groundwater, and then we had groundwater contamination related to the, uh, the site. The EPA was initially concerned that the few residents who live near this rural site were drinking contaminated well water, tainted by that paint sludge. So, in 2003, the agency connected residents who were potentially threatened by the pollution to the local water company's supply. 
As they continued their investigations, Gower says they found more contaminated wells. In 2008 and 2010, our removal program once again came in and um, basically provided an alternate water supply for those residences. What they did was install deeper groundwater monitoring wells into an unimpacted aquifer uh, below about 50 to 100 feet of uh, clay um, out there. Uh, those wells are down about 300 feet. Since 2010, millions of gallons of water have been treated at the EPA's groundwater extraction and treatment facility on the site. While the groundwater is the EPA's primary concern, Gower says they found PCBs, a likely human carcinogenic, in some of the soil. Those materials were excavated from the site. Those materials were more of a direct contact risk. They generally don't get into groundwater and uh, provide risk in that fashion. I walked with Gowers around parts of the site, a glorified field that, if you didn't know about the site's history and didn't see the EPA sign, would probably let your kids play soccer on. That area that's fenced off is actually part of the uh, groundwater pump and treat system here. Those are recharge basins. So that's where the clean water goes after it's been treated. Uh, and you know the, the process of that is basically they, they re-inject or basically discharge the clean groundwater there. It percolates back down. That causes mounding, which helps push the groundwater towards the extraction well. So it actually helps with the whole cleaning process of you know, the groundwater cleaning process here. We walk to a clearing where reports say decades ago, people paid the Immels to bury drums of paint sludge waste and dump chemicals right onto the ground. They uh, began illegally taking in chemical waste, uh, the drums of paint sludge that we found. And uh, that area where that was found was back in this tree line. You could see the cut in the tree line over here. So back in that area was where um, they had uh, apparently dug a pit and then uh, put in at least uh, 438 drums of paint sludge and then uh, covered that over. So. Um, that was basically the, the way the operations were conducted here. I know that during their operations, they even mishandled, it seemed, the septic waste. They got they got cited at least once that I'm aware of, I think it was maybe twice, by the state of New Jersey because they were allowing septic waste to be ponded on the site when they were actually, you know, supposed to be plowing that stuff in. The EPA started to clean up this landfill site in 1999. And Gower says the agency will turn over operation of the pump and treat system here to the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection as early as next year. Of the Superfund sites located in the Pinelands, Immel Septic Landfill is one of 17 that remains on the list. And with that many toxic sites in the area, it's important to clean them up before they're damaged by wildfires. Climate change is making this area more susceptible to wildfires and more difficult for firefighters to fight them. When there's low humidity and high heat, vegetation starts to dry and wilt. These are the key ingredients for a wildfire disaster, a perfect storm. New Jersey's wildfire season has historically peaked in the late spring and early summer. But now, the shift in conditions has allowed wildfires to get more intense and spark more easily throughout the entire year. To prevent a wildfire from sweeping onto the Immel site and destroying what appeared to be an expensive pump and treat facility, Gower says they keep the area around the building free from brush. In the off chance a wildfire did damage the facility, he says they'd shut it down until the building could be repaired. 
That means the contaminated groundwater would be sitting in the aquifer and could move around. But Gower says he isn't concerned. Groundwater contamination down here in southern Jersey, the type of aquifer you're dealing with, you're, you're looking at groundwater that might move a foot a day. So if it's shut down for a month, it's not like, you know, it might move 30 feet. So uh, once you start the extraction wells up again, it should theoretically pull most of that contamination back. Immel's septic landfill may be the quietest Superfund site I've ever covered on this podcast, both in terms of location, where cicadas were the only things I heard, and virtually no news coverage. I couldn't find out much about the site online. There's no community action group making sure this site gets cleaned up. More people, more exposure, more liability, right? Less people, less exposure, less liability. So often what my experience has been for Superfund sites, it's typically the community that brings up the issue. And if you don't have a big community that's complaining about it or you address those few community members that are being exposed, then they can kind of let things go because there's a long list of Superfund sites. That's Jacqueline Rhodes, the Assistant Executive Director of the Pinelands Preservation Alliance. I met up with her on the site to find out more about its history and future potential wildfire risk. You would have to have an exceptional fire, very hot, burning for a long period of time for it to pass through an area that has, you know, essentially almost like a fire break around that typically gets mowed in order to prevent a lot of woody vegetation from coming up. The good thing about Immels and other Superfund sites that were landfills is that they have less trees and more of a grassland environment. This protects the site from a wildfire going straight through the area. Even if a fire did go through the site, the EPA has already removed contaminants from the soil. So there's not really a risk of these chemicals burning off and affecting the air quality for the surrounding communities. I've mentioned a few times on this podcast that I'm from a small town in Texas called Seguin. I have a love-hate relationship with this town, best known for its large fake pecan. The sign says, Seguin, home of the world's largest pecan. That is a lie. The town's newish motto is, Seguin, it's real. Yes, you heard me right. The town paid money for this. And based on my childhood experiences there, I would modify the motto slightly. Seguin, it's really into climate denial. I bet you were wondering how I was going to connect this all to climate change. Growing up, I had a hard time finding people to talk with about climate change. I was literally laughed off a stage when describing deforestation as the most pressing problem facing teens. So I really wish Crooked Media's podcast Hot Take was around in 2006. It would have made me feel better to know that there were other people out there not afraid to speak their mind and drop some F-bombs about the realities of climate change. Each week, they'll bring you the latest climate news with the journalists and storytellers trying to make sense of this complex issue. When I'm not listening to Hot Take, I often find myself talking aloud to co-hosts Mary Anais Hegler and Amy Westervelt. Amy, Mary, can you hear me? They make me laugh, get fired up, and always leave me feeling like I could make a difference. Listen to new episodes of Hot Take every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.
In the Pinelands, fire is a part of life. But the wildfires that have shaped the landscape for centuries now threaten to destroy the communities within it. So this here is the Silas Little Experimental Forest. I met Mike Gallagher at his office in New Lisbon, about an hour north of Galloway and the Immel site, on the other end of the million-acre Pinelands National Reserve. He's a fire ecologist with the U.S. Forest Service, and his job requires him to intentionally start and study fires. There's a name for this practice, and it doesn't include the word mania. It's called prescribed burning, and the idea is to purposefully set small, controlled fires to prevent catastrophic wildfires. It works because the controlled burns essentially clean up the forest, clearing out brush and dead vegetation that would otherwise be prime fuel for a future wildfire. This practice, though, didn't start with the U.S. Forest Service. Cranberry growers were doing that since cranberries started as an industry, really, before the 1840s, 1850s. Um, and uh, folks were burning around their bogs regularly. But that culture was probably, well, almost inevitably picked up by the uh, Native Americans who were living here when, when Europeans got here. Because this sort of burning really wasn't a big thing in Europe, uh, where, where a lot of folks came from. And uh, that, that was adopted and still doing it today. I wanted to see the effects of fire myself. So Mike and I drove the few minutes down the road from his office to Brendan T. Byrne State Forest. On the one side of the road here, we have a fire excluded forest. And on the other side of the road, we have this area that was burned in a wildfire uh, last year in 2021. Blackened trees indicated where the fire moved in and out of the forest. Mike says prescribed burns had taken place in this area before, but it had been a while. Prescribed burns are tough to carry out. They're costly, labor-intensive, and are contingent on favorable weather. Climate change is making these intentional burns even more complicated to carry out. Even though New Jersey is seeing more rain and snow as the climate changes, that precipitation is increasingly concentrated in heavy storms, with longer dry spells in between. That means wildfire season is growing longer, narrowing the windows for performing prescribed burns safely. We're seeing more wet weather in some years during our prescribed burn season. So either more wet weather or more fire weather. So what that means is that there's fewer days available to, to do prescribed burns um, because either it, it, it's too wet and it won't burn or it's too flammable. New Jersey hasn't seen the types of devastating megafires that have become common in Western states like California. But Mike says that doesn't mean the Garden State's not at risk of catastrophic wildfires, especially as towns on the forest fringes become more heavily developed and more people move into fire-prone areas. Though, he notes, the fires in New Jersey tend to behave differently. One of the reasons that maybe we don't think about big fires as much here is because our fires do get big and they happen in one operational period, so one shift. Out west, their fires tend to burn a lot longer, sometimes long enough that people from New Jersey have time to go and get there and help out 
the history, they talk about how little rain they had leading up to these big fires. And so this environment has a predisposition to dry out very quickly because of its foundation, basically. The soil in the Pinelands is sandy. So when it rains, water doesn't stick around. It goes down to the aquifer quickly. Mike says that means there can still be a wildfire in the area the same day it rains. We can look in the road here. All the sand and cobbles weren't put here to make the road. This is the natural underlying um, foundation that everything's growing out of. And so there's, we're looking at rocks and pebbles and, and looks like beach sand almost. Um, and so that doesn't hold any, any moisture or not for very long, you know, hold a little bit but it, it dries out. It's got big pore space between all the, the, the particles, um, a lot more than like a, a heavy organic soil. Um, the soil doesn't hold a lot of organic matter either. So there's no real hope of ever developing a, a you know, a really thick, um, you know, better soil. That was something, you know, going back to the Pine Barrens, the settlers could never get it to really grow their crops. They never could really improve their soil that much for the things that they wanted to grow. This environment has shaped industry, culture, and in these parts, legend. Long ago, a woman named Mrs. Leeds was in labor with her 13th child. She cried out in agony, Oh, let this one be the devil! Her wish came true the child released a horrifying screech, unfurled its wings, and flew out of the house through the chimney. That night, the Jersey Devil was born. Or so the story goes. Back in the Pinelands of the 21st century, the only demonic thing I spotted was what appeared to be a Snuggie someone discarded with broken TVs and other trash along the side of the road. This part of the Pinelands isn't a landfill like the Immel Superfund site was, despite garage sale-style illegal dumping. But Mike says the prescribed burning going on here will help similar Superfund sites that are contaminated with heavy metals. Some species of plants can actually bring up heavy metals that were otherwise in the soil but were relatively immobile, not going anywhere. Some early woody colonizers of heavily disturbed areas will naturally want to start seeding in and certain types of scenarios and start growing and they can take up these heavy metals and then they'll get into their foliage and into their wood and as the plant loses parts naturally leaves and twigs and things it's starting to bring heavy metals up back into the system on the top where then they can run off with rain or blow around in dust and so one strategy that's been proposed is to actually use some prescribed fire in Superfund sites like that to actually control the species that would start moving uh, the contamination around. And so the goal for some places might not be to restore it back to a forest because that might be counterproductive for the hazardous part. And so maybe maintaining it as a grassland or something like that with species of plants that aren't going to move the contamination around but still provide ecological opportunity for wildlife and recreation can be good. Hazard is a space not just for learning about Superfund sites, but for engaging our communities in conversation around the cleanup of these toxic places. Do you have questions about Superfund sites in New Jersey? Do you live near one? If so, I want to hear from you. 
send me a tweet using hashtag HazardNJ, or leave me a voice memo at hazard at myNJPBS.org. We may play your comments in a future episode. Hazard NJ is an NJ Spotlight News production. The show is written, edited, and hosted by me, Jordan Gospore. Jamie Kraft is the executive producer with NJ Spotlight News. Our executive in charge of production is Joe Lee. Michael Saul Warren is our producer. Chris Panza is our production assistant. Chloe Matisi is our production manager. Our sound designer and engineer is Mark Bush. Music for Hazard NJ was composed by Nick Pennington. Artwork by Matthew Fleming. Support for Hazard NJ is provided by Peril and Promise, a public media reporting initiative covering the human stories of climate change and its solutions, with major funding provided by Dr. P. Roy Vagelos and Diana T. Vagelos. You can learn more at pbs.org forward slash Peril and Promise.